This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Won't you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verses from verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard, many about, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer. Actually, the word there is experience for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled a renaissance called crisis. A renaissance called crisis. Everybody's got their favorite people that they like in the Bible. I mean, everybody says Jesus is their favorite, I know. So let's take Jesus out of the mix. But apart from Jesus, everybody's got their favorite. It's like, okay, I really like Paul and I like, you know, um, Peter and I like John and I, I like Paul. I, I can relate to Paul. I think he's quite a cool dude. He probably wouldn't describe himself that way. But the thing about Paul was, Paul had his life together. Paul was a person who was intentional about how he lived life. He wasn't accidental. He didn't wake up one morning and he wasn't ad hoc. He was intentional about how he lived his life. He was a person of value. He was a person who was structured in the way that he dealt with things. And he looked at things and he understood the significance and the importance of having God in his life. And because of that, he went on a journey to try and discover who God was and his interpretation of who God was. And he assimilated that all into who he was, and he began to live from that place. He was a learned man. He was a scholar. He was somebody who spent his time studying the word because he wanted to find out who this God was and what he was all about. And he developed within himself an idea and an understanding of who God was. He lived from that place. And from that place, he developed relationships and he was elevated and he gained title and he had reputation and he was a person of significance in the local church. People knew who Paul was. Well, he was still in the synagogue in that day. But he was still a person of significance in the synagogue. And he's on a journey and he's on a mission. He's got a goal in front of him because he knows what he's doing and he's out fulfilling his goal in life. And all of a sudden he's on a road and he has an intervention and God begins to speak into his life. And in that moment, 
when God suddenly spoke to him, everything changed. It was when God began to speak to him that suddenly his life moved into crisis. His reason his life moved into crisis is because he knew who Paul was. He understood what he was all about. He understood what he believed. He understood what he knew and what he'd studied and, and what was part of his life. He understood his past and where he was being. But he suddenly found himself in a place where he was in, in, in suspension between a past that he was having to let go of and he was having to embrace a future that was uncertain. It never had definition. It was still to be defined for him. He was unsure of what it would look like. And to some degree, was there were elements of insecurities about what it would be. He was in a moment of crisis because everything that I knew, everything that I could control, everything that used to form the basis and the foundation of my life, I suddenly recognized in that moment, it was wrong. Why are you doing what you're doing? And he knew, I got to change. He knew at this very juncture, everything that I've had up until that moment, I've got to let go of. But when you let go of your foundation, when you let go of what you can control, when you let go of what you know and you understand, you find yourself in a place of suspension. You find yourself in a place called crisis because I don't have that anymore. And all of a sudden, I have to move forward into something new, into something fresh. All he knew was that whatever this new space was going to be, it was going to be something that would be designed by Christ. The Jesus that I had met, I don't know what it's going to look like. And I can't tell you at this point. All I know is it's not going to look like my past. Crisis offers us an opportunity because crisis can become the catalyst that introduces us to more expansive living. Crisis can be the catalyst that gives us direction for our life. Crisis can be the catalyst that introduces us to purpose. The biggest challenge that so many people have is that they spend their lives, they focused on a goal. I want to achieve something. I want to attain something. I want to re reach some position or some place of, of esteem or, or um, accreditation. I have a goal. The challenge with it is most of them don't know what their purpose is. They don't know what their purpose is. And sometimes what crisis offers us is an opportunity where we have illumination and we begin to understand all of a sudden that my life is not about my gift and my life is not about my talent and my life is not about my training and my life is not about my history and my knowledge and my experience. All of a sudden I begin to realize that my future and my life is about purpose and purpose doesn't materialize until I meet with the author and the finisher. When you talk about crisis, you begin to realize that crisis is really just a function of perspective. Crisis is a function of perspective. Paul's life was in crisis because he recognized that he was at a place where everything that he knew, everything that he felt comfortable, everything that he could control, everything that built him to where he was, he would have to let go of. And suddenly he recognized the fact that I have no control and I have, don't have the wherewithal to define what the future is going to look like. 
I've met Jesus and he said to me, what you're doing is wrong. Let it go. What he's saying to me is, I'm inviting you into something new. He was inviting me into something new. And he was going to define what that was going to look like. And suddenly I recognized the reason that I'm in crisis is because it's all of a sudden I, I've come to the place where I've identified that I don't have what it takes to be able to fulfill the need in front of me. You see, it's all about perspective. The reason that we engage crisis is because we come to a place in our life where we recognize that there is a need that's being presented to me and suddenly I recognize that there is a deficit in my life because I don't have what it takes to fix that. I don't have what it takes to get over that. I don't have what it takes to correct the situation. I'm at a deficit. I'm in crisis because all of a sudden I don't know how I can move from where I am into a future that is whole and well and perfect and provided for. It's all about perspective. That's why when God looks at our life, you have to understand the person who's looking at your life is the I am that I am. The person looking at your life says, I am complete and whole in myself. The one who's looking at your life in your situation says, I'm the all-sufficient one. And because he's the all-sufficient one and he's complete and whole within himself, he looks at it and he, he is in a place where he can look at a situation and identify it as that. And never see it as a crisis. Why? Because I have everything that I need to be able to deal with that. It's never a crisis in his situation. When you understand that you're walking through life with God, understand that you're walking through, one, through life with the one who is all in all. That's why the difference with it is it's all about perspective. You're looking at your bank account that's in deficit. You're looking at your credit card that's overdrawn. God's looking at it and saying, okay, well, I have more than enough to provide for that. The thing with it is, what are you learning in the situation? It's all about perspective. When God looks at us, God is not concerned with the situation that we're in. It's not that he's not interested in us. It's that he knows he has the ability to be able to take care of that. The thing with it is, he's sitting saying, where are you in this? What are you learning through this? To what degree are you stretching are you, and are you growing? The big question he's really asking is, I know who I am in this situation. Do you know who I am? You see, if we really knew who he was and who he is in the situation, our perspective would change. All of a sudden, we would recognize I'm in a place called crisis, but really it's a renaissance. Because all of a sudden, I have an opportunity right at the, now, at the moment to discover a part of who he is and introduce it to my world. Something that I never had before. You see, crisis for God is an opportunity for introduction. We live by encounter. We live by encounter. You don't have an encounter unless you have a need. Let me give you an example. We know that God is good. We know that God loves us. And because God loves us, God is health. God is life. God is healing. We know that. But you never encounter that until you have symptoms. 
You've got to have something where I can't fix this. You've got to have something where all of a sudden I recognize this is beyond my control. It's beyond my ability. I don't have what it takes to be able to remedy the situation. And what God is saying, I know who I am in this situation. Would you like to discover the healer? Why? Because what we know about God is important. It gives us a grid. But the invitation is always into encounter with God. Crisis offers us an opportunity to have an introduction to who he is and to experience the God that we know. It creates a platform for engagement. Paul gets up after he's met with God. And it says, his eyes were opened, but he saw no one. His eyes were opened, but he saw no one. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 says we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. What it's talking about is, it's talking about the nature of our engagement with our situations. What it's saying is, there are two ways that you can engage. You see, the old way you can engage is through your old nature. And your old nature wants to understand the circumstance and the situation and the contributors and what's happening in it and what the options are and where I can go and what the opinions are and who Facebook is all about and what everybody's saying on there and what I can Google about this situation. My old man wants to discover all of those things. My old man is at a place where it's sitting saying, what can I discover in the natural that can be a remedy to take me forward, that can introduce me to what my future is all about. But God says we don't live by the old man. He came to introduce the new nature and a new way of living. The new way of living is a deeper way of living. It is a spiritual way of living, and it's called the eye of the heart. It's called your spiritual senses. It's not to say that you don't see because you have faith. It's just that you're you looking at a place and you're living at a level where I'm aware of what's happening in the natural, but I'm motivated and I'm moved by what happens in the spiritual. I'm able to open my eye and see those things. You see, it's our spiritual senses that allows us to connect with the deeper, invisible things of God. In 2 Kings... Chapter 6, Elisha is in a place and an army is coming against them. And his servant says, what are we going to do? We're outnumbered. We're going to die. And what what, what does Elisha play? He prays, God, I pray that you will open the eyes of his heart. He didn't pray, God, give him eyes to see. He said, open the eyes of his heart. They exist He just didn't know how to use them. They exist. I just didn't know how to use them. I'd never got to the place where I'd sat and recognized the fact that there is a spiritual reality to the world that I live in. And the invitation that God extends to me is I've given you a set of natural senses, 
and you can live from that place. But I've created within you to be a new creation, to be a new person, to be a new nature. And I look for you to live from your spiritual senses. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Donna's on the ball. Ish. I didn't? Well, then I must have made it up. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. No, no, I'm lying. Ephesians 1, um, <laughs> Ephesians 1, 18. I pray that, this is Paul. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. He didn't pray, God, give them eyes to see. Right. He said, your eyes are there. You just got to have them enlightened. I'm praying that your spiritual eyes be opened. What he's saying is, I want you to recognize the fact that you are a new creation. And as a new creation, there is a new place that we are to live from. The closer we get to our destiny, the more we have to release our history. The closer you get to who God called you to be, the closer you get to becoming and moving into our new creation in Christ, the more I have to let go of who I used to be, the way that I used to live, the way that I used to see things, the way that I used to behave. That let go of my history. Why? Because I'm stepping into my destiny. And I'm stepping into who it is that he's called me to be. Part of what he invites me into is to sit and say, I need for you to have some spiritual senses so that you can pick up on some stuff. Why? Because we live by the word of God, the the spoken word of God, not the written word of God. That's what he's always inviting us into. What happened to Jesus? Jesus is walking along one day and the crowds are around him and they're thronging him. And if you actually read the original Greek, what it says is that the disciples were concerned for his life. Because the crowds were pushing against him so heavily that they were trying to protect him and everybody was getting squashed together. And in the midst of all the squashing, Jesus says, who touched me? (laughs) And his disciples are like, what? (laughs) What did he say? (laughs) Who touched you? Why? Because he wasn't using natural senses. He's using his spiritual sense of touch. I don't care what happens in the natural. There are throngs and there are crowds and there are people and there's breathing and halitosis and everything else. But somebody touched me. My spiritual senses kicked in. Who touched me? He got to a place where he developed his spiritual sensitivity so much that he was so in tune with what happened spiritually that the moment somebody placed a demand on him, suddenly it happened and he was like, I'm aware of it. aware of it when we when I was younger I'm still young but when I was younger (laughs) I think I look great for 70 don't you (laughs) when I was younger it was nice because people sometimes you have a, a friend who has like a really cool sports car or something and it's like okay that's really nice it's a good opportunity to kind of get a date or whatever. I had a friend of mine and his dad had a plane. So it was like really cool. It's like you could be the hunchback of Notre Dame and any, any woman's going to say, I'll go on a date with you. 
People used to go to the mall around here. We used to fly to New York for the day. It's like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Everybody's like, I'll go with you, sure. The thing about it is, if you become a pilot, you get to a stage where you learn how to fly, and you can do that. But the, the thing is, to really be able to fly effectively, you have to get something called your instrument rating. You see, with your instrument rating, what it does is, it says to you, I understand that you can fly normally because you can look out of the windows and you can use your eyes and you can see the horizon and you can see the ground and you know where to point the plane and you know how to fly and you know what direction to aim it in. The problem with it is when you're flying and all of a sudden a storm blows in and suddenly you find yourself in clouds and you cannot see beyond the windshield, you don't know which is up, which is down, which is left, which is right, and you have no clue what's in front of you. Zero. Your eyes count for nothing. But you've got to have some instrument rating because the thing about it is your instrument rating says, I know you can't see. Have a look at the dials. They'll tell you where the horizon is. They'll tell you whether you need to move up or whether you have to go down. It gets you sorted out. It keeps you moving in the right direction that you need to move into. You've got to get your instrument rating. The challenge of so many people in life is we don't have our instrument rating. So what ends up happening is we always want to use our senses. And so we're always looking at where we're going. The problem with it is suddenly crisis arrives. And when crisis arrives, I can't use my vision anymore because I can't see where I've been and I can't see where I'm going to and I don't know how to get there. And God's invitation is to sit and say, we live by faith and not by sight. Take your eyes and put them on the dials. Keep your hands on the dial. Don't worry about what happens out there. You just cope watching the ratings and you just keep adjusting as it tells you to move. Slightly upward, slightly left. Pull up your nose a little bit and you just keep flying. You just keep going. You're going to get there. You'll make it through the storm. Keep your hands off the things unless it tells you to do something. And just keep committed to the dials. And you know what happens? You get there. I couldn't see the destination. But the instruments got me there. That's what God invites us into. That is the life of faith. You cannot look at what's happening around about us because your chances are pretty good you're going to crash and burn. There comes a place where I've got to get the sensitivity where I can hear his voice, where I can move to that place where I can watch the dials and I'm comfortable and I'm secure and I'm confident in the knowledge that those dials are going to get me where I need to go. It says that the men that were with Paul heard a voice, but they saw no one. They heard a voice, but they didn't see anything. There are too many people that live by what they hear, but they have no vision. The challenge with it is the written word of God is there and we go to church and we hear stuff and we get into books and we hear stuff and we watch television and we hear stuff. We're hearing stuff all the time and that is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. You need to get the word of God in your life. The problem with it is unless the written word of God leads you to the living word of God, you never get a word from God. The challenge with it is we live by what we hear but we see nothing. I've never met with the living word. 
You search the scriptures. Because in them you think you have eternal life. And yet you won't come to me who is life. What he's saying is this. We're on a journey. And the journey is to sit and say, I know that I've got a manual called the Bible. And it's fabulous. And it's the word of God. And it's living. And it's dynamic. And it's alive. But the written word of God is always there to introduce me to the living word of God. Which is Christ in me. You only know it's living when you communicate with it. And you're able to hear it communicate with you. All of a sudden, it changes. I haven't got time to get into this today. But the the challenge with it is, in fact, I'll do that another time. The point is this. If you open your Bibles and you have a look at, um, where are we going? Hmm? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18, it says, For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at things which are seen, but things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What it's saying is this. You can see God wrote this. You know how you know, because God says, No matter what you're going through and no matter how bad your crisis is, God says for this momentary light affliction. It's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. God's like, okay, for this momentary light affliction that you're going through, he's just, he's kind of feeling for us a little bit. For this momentary light affliction that you're going through, it's designed to produce in us access to glory. It's designed to produce within us the opportunity to experience an, an element or an aspect of who he is and what he's all about. That is what it's designed for. We spoke about it in the beginning. The point of the whole thing is this. The crux of this entire verse rests on one word. It's called while. While. While we look at things which are not seen. You see, what it's saying is, as long as you're looking at the things which are not seen, the circumstance and situation will produce for you what it's designed to produce for you. The challenge with it is the moment you take your eyes off what is not seen and you place it back on the circumstance or the situation, all of a sudden the affliction doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. The power in the affliction is dependent on where you're looking. As long as you're looking at the dials, you're in a good place. As long as you're looking at what God is saying to you, you're in a good place. As long as you're hearing his voice and you're seeing him and you're hearing him and you're obeying his direction and you're moving in that regard, you're in a good place. The challenge with it is don't take your eyes off the unseen. The temptation is always there to go back to my history. The temptation is always there to go back to what is seen. I've just stepped back into the natural. I've just gone back into my history. And if I take my eyes off that which is unseen, I don't get to experience the provision of the challenge. The whole point of crisis and a big part of crisis is what it's going to do is it's going to take us to a place where it's going to elevate us beyond a paradigm of self and introduce us to a kingdom agenda. You see, the challenge with a lot of people and the place that Paul found himself is that 
he knew of his abilities. He knew of his talents. He knew he was scholarly. He knew he was informed. He knew he was a person of reputation. He knew he was a person that had um, esteem in the community because of his knowledge and his ability. He understood what his gifts and his talents were about. And he was able to harness those things to take him to a place where he was a person of reputation. The challenge with it was he was living by goals. He had never discovered his purpose. You see, we only discover our purpose when we take who we are and what we're all about and we introduce it to the anointing. We never discover our purpose outside of God because he authored it and he finishes it. He authored it and he put on the inside of you certain inclinations, certain desires, certain abilities, certain talents. I'm terrible at math. I know that that's not my forte in life. I wouldn't go down that road. It's giving me an indication of certain things. Their gifts, their talents, their ability. I'm better at these kinds of things. So I start moving in that direction. We can accomplish things and we can do certain things based on our talents and on our abilities. But we never engage purpose until our talents and abilities come to the place where they encounter Christ. You see, it's not about me, it's about him. What Paul said is, all of the things, all that I've accomplished, all that I know, all that I understand, I got to the place where all of a sudden I had an encounter with him and I suddenly realized it's all rubbish. That's what he said. I've been living with crud. He's like, compared to the anointing and where God is taking me, all of a sudden it's inconsequential wasn't inconsequential in his life because God built on it. What God did was took his abilities and overlaid that with his anointing. And the result of that was that you ended up with somebody called Paul, who basically was probably the greatest teacher in the New Testament outside of Jesus. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He gave us more of an understanding and illuminated more of the whole concept of Christ in me than anybody else. Why? Because he took who he was and what he was all about. It took who he was built for and he married it together with the one who is the finisher and they put those two things together and God said, okay, now we're going to change the trajectory in your life. The very person that you came to kill, me, is the one that's going to sit and say, fine, I'm going to shift your life a little bit. I'm going to move it in a different direction. I'm going to move you to a different place. Part of what our, that goes with the requirement of stepping into our purpose is coming to a place where we understand it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And I want to approach this from a slightly different perspective because we all agree with it because we understand the power in the anointing. We, we understand everything that goes with that. But I want to adopt, approach it from a slightly different perspective today. What I want to say is this. Inherent in that invitation, inherent in that understanding, comes the requirement that I am prepared to lay down my life for something greater than me. We say yes to it, but I want to give you an example that maybe will just give you an understanding as to how subtle and how dangerous it is. We say yes, and then we suddenly find ourselves in church one day, and all of a sudden, it's like, I am really anointed of God, and I'm so happy to be such an anointed singer, 
unfortunately, not everybody recognizes it. And because they don't recognize my anointing, and I'm not given the position, they obviously don't appreciate. It's always wrapped in Christianese. They don't, they don't appreciate who I am in my anointing. And as a result of it, I'm leaving. I, I cannot tell you over uh, 30 years how many times something similar has happened. And you know what the sadness about the situation is? It has nothing to do with this church or any other church. God is going to put you at the church that he wants you to be. I don't know where he wants you to be, but you need to find out where he wants you to be. But when God puts you in there, he puts you in there for a reason. And what he's going to say is, I'm immersing you into family for a reason. What you're going to discover in family is you're not all the same. It's like a marriage. They don't like those people. They grate me. This one is so in such an irritation. I really love these people. That one over there. Why? Because I'm learning something about myself. The fact that you're intolerant of that person says more about you than it does of the other person. I'm learning all the time. I'm put in a place where God says, the reason I don't want you to move is because if every time you move because you get upset or because there's a difference or because we have an opinion that's not the same, you're going to find yourself at a place out there somewhere where all of a sudden I don't go anywhere because every church is wrong. I'm in there for a reason. The point is this. He's growing our character so that we can carry the anointing. The problem with it is, if we step into offense, I've stepped out of his design, I've stepped out of Christ in me, and I've just stepped into flesh. Or I just step into emotion. Or I just step into my thinking. It's no longer I who lives. If we're going to say that, it means I have to be able to sit and say, I'm leaving my history behind because I'm stepping into my destiny. Part of stepping into my destiny sits and says, my purpose in life is more important than my ego that's hurt. My purpose in life is more important than my flesh that's a little unsettled. If I can't do that, the problem with it is I never reach my purpose. It's got nothing to do with the church you belong to. It, God put you, it's not living faith. What I'm trying to say to you is find where God wants you to get and pursue purpose. If I have it in, my, in the forefront of who I am and I'm sitting saying, that's where I'm going. God, I'm committed to your purpose. Understand he's going to do some stuff in your life because who you need to be to step into the person who writes two thirds of the New Testament. Who you need to be there as the person who takes and speaks to the generations to come about what it is to have Christ live on the inside of me. You're not that person just yet, Paul. I can't take it. It's uncomfortable. I want to just give you one silly example. I just have to get it off my chest. Because I have some things I can't bear. Do you know we had somebody who left here once because somebody sat in their seat. I don't know how it was their seat, but they knew it was theirs. I don't even know which seat it was, but it was theirs. And they walked in and somebody, it was somebody who had been here, a new person, a couple of weeks. I know, Rafa, keep it friendly now. But they came in, and it was like, you're sitting in my seat. And so now I've got two people upset. One person who says, this isn't a very loving church, you know. And I'm thinking, what? And the other person who's already gone because they're offended because somebody said, it's silly and it's trifling. I am venting a little bit, but apart from venting, (laughs) 
There is a point to it. The point is this. We've got to grow as the body. Do you know what? We've got to grow up. We've got to get stronger. We've got to be more resilient. We've got to be more committed to things that are far more consequential in life. There is stuff happening in this nation. And believe me, if you're going to be offended because of your seat, you're not going to change the neighborhood, let alone the world. I had something else to tell you about this. Where was I? God is going to work with you and God's got something special that he wants to do in your life because of who you are. Did you know that John the Baptist could never have done what Paul did? He was a wild man. He lived off locusts and honey. He lived out in the woods. He was a person who would have wandered out from the, the battlefield and came into church and he was like, he's a wild guy. But that's who he was. That's what he was about. But his purpose was prepare the way for the anointed one. He's coming. His purpose was, I can't baptize you. Do you know who I am? I'm the locust and honey eater. But that was his purpose. His purpose wasn't Paul's purpose. Peter, impetuous, passionate. Peter was prepared to say, you know what? I'll drop my nets and follow you. Peter was the one who was prepared to step out of the boat and walk on water. Peter was the one who was with Jesus in Gethsemane. Peter's purpose was important, but it wasn't Paul's purpose. He couldn't have been Paul. Nobody else can be you. He's gifted you and he's given you stuff. Don't look at anybody else. You don't have to be the scholarly type. You don't have to be the locust and honey eater. You don't have to be the one running out cutting ears off people. I don't know who you're called to be. You're called to be somebody. The thing about it is, you will discover who you're called to be when you prepare to say, I'm going to lay down my nets. I'm letting go of the fishing because I'm following you. Where am I going? I'm letting go of my history because my future's calling. I'm letting go of what used to be because my destiny is in front of me. I'm changing who I am because I'm letting go of what it is to be a natural man. And I'm stepping into and I'm discovering and I'm embracing spiritual senses. And all of a sudden, the spiritual world comes alive to me. I didn't know it existed because I never saw it. Crisis. Offers you a renaissance moment. 2020 has been interesting. And to varying degrees, with, cri- with, corona li- with corona alone, everybody's been thrown into crisis. You see, the world that I used to know has been put in suspension. My kids don't go to school anymore. People are living virtually. Virtual education. I don't have the opportunity to do sport anymore because that's gone. Fortunately, I'm not commuting, but I've been at home for six months doing virtual work. Maybe been laid off because of it. I wear a mask everywhere I go. A continual reminder 
of a virus presence. Everybody's world's been affected. The point of it is this. In that space called crisis is an opportunity for us to elevate the way that we live. In the place called crisis is the opportunity to discover the one who is more than enough. In the space of crisis, he wants to do something and meet you at a, at a place where you are right now. And each one of us is different. But he wants to do something in your life, in your circumstances, in your home, in your family, in your business, in your whatever it might be. He wants to meet you at that place and sit and say, you might be looking at crisis because you're looking at it through the perspective of inability to be able to change it. You're looking at it from the perspective of deficit. But if you change it, and you can get my perspective, you'll see it from the God who's more than enough. And when you see it from the God who's more than enough, all of a sudden my future begins to change. How are you going to come out of COVID? What are you going to look like when you come out of COVID? Are you going to wake up one day and you're going to sit and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because he's going to tell you something. He said to Paul, go to Damascus and I'll show you. Really? <laughs> Seriously, I've just had like God appear to me, a voice, people hear all the rest of it, and it's like, you're on the wrong track, but I'm going to correct it. And it's like, I'm ready. Where are we going? Damascus. He was waiting for a heavy revelation. He wanted to be told, you're going to write two thirds of the New Testament, and people for generations to come are going to look at you and say, Paul, wow, he's great. He didn't hear that. I'm telling it for a reason. Because you know what? God doesn't deal with us that way. Here's the secret your purpose is discovered as we step into obedience. Your purpose is discovered as you step into obedience. He's not going to show you the end. He's going to show you the next step. Go to Damascus. And what are we going to do? He's going to show you the next step in your life. And he's going to say, this is what I want you to do. And he's looking to see, are you prepared to be obedient? Are you prepared to do something with it? Oh, God, you don't understand. You know, I come from a place where it's like, we've got like big, heavy revelations and stuff. Give me something big, Lord. Make it consequential. He walks us into purpose. And you're going to take it one step at a time because you don't know what God is doing. You getting the people around you because you can't see a thing to take you and help you and get you through to Damascus. Because that's where you think you're going. You don't know that God's already working in Damascus with somebody called Ananias. And he's already got the solution coming the other way around. By the time you get into Damascus, you don't realize it. But all of a sudden, somebody comes knocking on your door saying, God sent me. He's going to heal you. And he's going to give you a prophecy about what your future is going to be. But if you don't get yourself to Damascus, you miss it. Don't look for the big stuff. God will take you where he wants you to be. Take it one step at a time. Remember this. We walk into our purpose. He will show you one step at a time what it is that you're to do. Men and women are different. I go home and I said, so happy because Annie and Jesse had a baby. 
And Sarah says, wow, that's such good news. What did they have? A baby. A baby. <laughs> but what was it? I, I don't know. How big was it? I don't know. How long was it? I don't know. How was the birth? I don't, I don't say I had a baby. <laughs> that's what men do. Woman will tell you everything. They'll tell you all the detail. It's like Sarah and me with directions. It's like, how do you get to the house? You just go up to that, you know, that second street there, that one. You know where the big park is? Just beyond that, turn left. (laughs) Go down that road, go past the school. As you get beyond the school, there's like a road to your left there. Just go down that one, and it's like the second house on the left. It's like, what's the name of the road? I I don't know. How far do I need it? I, I I don't know. Sarah's like, you go 814 steps along here, turn left on West Street, go 92 steps, and you'll see on your left-hand side, just look carefully because it's not very well sign-marked, there's a street called Smith Street. Turn left on that. We're different. I'm telling you this for a reason, because we all want God to be like Sarah, not me. The sad news is he's like me, not Sarah. God doesn't tell you the whole deal. God says to you, go to Damascus. It may not sound exciting. And it may not sound like it's a world-changing event. But what's more important to God than anything else is, are you prepared to be obedient? Are you prepared to be obedient? What can I trust you with? As we come out of COVID, as we come out of 2020, we to be new people. The invitation is there. God is sitting saying, I'm going to give you direction. I'm going to walk you into purpose. I want you to discover who I am in ways that you've never known me before. I want you to see me and I want you to encounter me and I want you to experience me as the God who's more than enough. But I want you to be at a place where number one, you're obedient. And number two, you're setting, at a, setting a goal for yourself where I'm sitting saying, I'm walking into my destiny. And because I'm walking into my destiny, I'm throwing behind me my history. Every day is about growth. Every day is about development. Every day is about discovering my spiritual senses so that I can become an active partaker of the spiritual world. So I see things with his eyes, not with mine. Rafa, come and pray for us. And get a microphone on your way up. (laughs) There you go. Petey. Hey guys, wasn't that such a good message? My gosh. I just want to, like, jump and shout and T.D. Jake it, you know? Like, go out there and do stuff. Anyways, if you guys can all rise, is that okay? I love you. Thank you. Good obedience, man. I love you guys. See, you guys can do it. I love it. All right, put your hands on your heart for me because your heart is so powerful. Close your eyes. Let's just hang out with Father God right now. Jesus, we just love you. We thank you for every single word that Pastor Gavin just preached, and really it was you preaching. Come on, God. It was you speaking directly to our hearts. You were just using Pastor Gavin as a beautiful vessel. Yeah, so we just bless the words that are in your heart. And even if you don't understand it, let let everything that we have learned these past couple weeks about making our hearts a beautiful soil for these seeds to just land. And you water them. You protect this word. You're the one, God, that's going to encourage every single seed that's inside of our heart, Papa, to grow into this beautiful, mighty oak tree. 
like the sequoia trees in California. That's what you're doing in our hearts. Making us big and mighty. We're going to make roads out of this heart. Come on. So we just bless this day, Father God. We bless our week. Let us leave this building completely different, changing everybody's life, walking in our purpose. When you tell us to go and pick up a number two pencil, and we can't find number two pencils because there's somebody in the way that you want us to change. So we're just going to be obedient to you with all the little things. And that's so simple. (laughs) Yeah. So right now, I just break fear over you right now in the name of Jesus. We just let you go. Yeah. And we thank you, God, that you always give us back truth. So what's the truth? Yeah, we love you. We bless you. Thank you guys for coming out today. You're amazing. In Jesus' name, amen.